This is another message brought to you by the Remodel Church. Amen. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We continue our series on the life of David. I feel like I'm a little too loud. I may not be. We continue our series on the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to look at today the story of this man named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Let's just call him Mephi. Are y'all cool with calling him Mephi? There's a famous soccer player called Messi. We'll just switch the S for the F. We'll call him Mephi. Or y'all want to call him Bo? Would Bo be easier? Let's call him Bo. So Mephibosheth, we'll just call him Bo. want to take a look at his life, and I'm going to share a little bit about, about him before we get into reading, there were four major events in Bo's life. Um, the first event he had absolutely no control over. And that was the fact that he was born to Jonathan. Jonathan was his father. Jonathan was a son of Saul, the very first king. So when Bo was born, he was Saul's grandson. He's the grandson of a king. Wouldn't it be nice to be a grand, uh, grandson or granddaughter to a king? Would you agree that your life would be just a little bit different? This means yes. This means no. So we're going we're gonna to retry that. So Bo was born to Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Saul was the very first king over Israel. How many of you would agree that your life would be so much different than what it is today, right now, if your grandfather was a king? There we go. There we go. Give yourselves a hand for that. Good job. Good job. There we go. So life would be completely different. And he had no, obviously he had no say so in this. He had no power. He had no control over this. But he's born and he's, his grandfather is a king over Israel. You know what this means? This means he is set up. This means he doesn't ever have to work a day in his life. He doesn't have to go catch chickens or work at the chicken plant or be a teacher or work in the woods. What else is there to do here? Blow insulation or sell insulation. That pretty much covers it all, right? Deliver mail. Um, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to work a day in his life. He's got it set up. He gets to grow up in the palace, and he gets to enjoy all of the benefits that come from being the grandson of a king. Well, at the age of five, his life completely changes. Again, he has no control over this situation, over what is about to happen. But news comes to him and to his nurse at the age of five that his father and his grandfather both have been killed at battle. And what this means, everybody knows by this time, everybody knows that David is the next king in line. And David isn't isn't a rightful heir to Saul's throne. In other words, he's not part, he's not kin to Saul. He's not Saul's son. So what that means is for David in those times, for David to actually take over the throne, David has to wipe out all of Saul's heirs. So whenever news comes that Saul and Jonathan have both been killed at battle. 
The nurse grabs Bo and they take off running. He's five years old and they're in such a haste and they're in such, such worry and such in a hurry that he falls. And when he falls, he breaks both legs and he is lame. He cannot walk. At the age of five, he cannot walk anymore. And for 15 years, Bo lived hiding and in fear. You see, every single day, Bo woke up wondering, is this the day that David finds out that I'm still alive and wipes me out? Because you see, as long as there's somebody of Saul's bloodline alive, they are a threat to David's kingdom. They're a threat to David's rule. And every single day he's hiding and he's living in fear, hoping nobody knows who he is, hoping nobody figures out where he is or that he's alive. And not only that, but he's lame, he can't walk. And in those days, someone that was disabled at at any capacity, well, they just weren't treated very well. And they had no hope. It was those that you seen at the street corners begging for money. And anything they ate was given to them out of just compassion and mercy. They couldn't find a job. They couldn't work. They were the lowest of the lowest. So here is Bo. He's lame. And he's living in fear that somebody might try to wipe him out. For 15 years he lived this way. Until one day David remembers a promise that he made with Jonathan. And we saw this a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. And I said, you guys remember this moment. I think it was in 1 Samuel chapter 20. David and Jonathan, they loved each other. They were best friends. Jonathan knows David is going to be the next king. Jonathan understands. Listen, I know God has taken the kingdom out of my father Saul's hands and he has placed them in yours. And he says, all that I ask is that you would give mercy and show mercy to my home, to my house, to my family. And David, out of love to Jonathan, makes that promise, makes that covenant or that pact with Jonathan. Twenty years later, David remembers. And David says, ask the question, is there anybody out of Saul's household still alive so that I may give them mercy for Jonathan's sake? He remembers this covenant, this promise that he made with Jonathan. And he says, is, is there anybody alive? And this man named Ziba, he knew about, my, uh, about Bo. And he says, there's this guy named Mephibosheth or Bo. And David says, bring him. I want to show him mercy. I want to show him love. And I can't imagine. I, I don't know what Ziba had to tell Bo to get him to come. Because you got to understand what, what he knows, what, what Bo knows, or what he believes is that Anytime at at the point that David finds out that he's alive, that's it. That's the end of it. He he loses his life at that moment. And so I just kind of wonder how that conversation went between Ziba and Bo. What is he telling him? Is he is he trying did he did did Bo really just believe him? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe Ziba had to put a little something in his milk and knock him out and bring him to the I don't know. I don't know how that all played out. But what we do know is that Bo shows up before David. And we know he doesn't believe that he's going to be shown mercy because the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 9 that he just throws himself at David and he throws himself at, at David's feet and he just starts begging for mercy. And David at that point begins to restore Bo 
You see, because, again, because he was out of Saul's bloodline, David actually should have killed him. But instead, he brings him into the palace. And because he was lame and he was disabled, he shouldn't have been in the palace. But David not only brings him into the palace, but he sits him down at his table. And he tells him, this is what I'm going to do for you. Every single day, there is going to be a place for you to eat right here at this table with me, with the king. And more than that, more than just feeding you every single day and allowing you to come and sit with me every single day, I'm going to take it a step further. Everything that belonged to Saul, everything that was your grandfather's, all of the land that was, that was his, I'm going to give right back to you. And Zeba and your 20-something servants, they're going to work for you. And all of the harvest and all of the gain and all of the money that is won off of working that land, we're going to give to you. David says, I'm going to make you a son of the king. Sometime later, this man, actually one of David's sons, has said it in his heart and said it in his mind that he's going to kill David and he's going to take over the throne. And word gets to David and David doesn't want to fight his son. None of us would ever want to fight our sons. So what David does instead, if he, he just flees, he runs. He goes and he hides because he doesn't want to fight his son. When David leaves, he tells Ziba, he says, get you and your servants and come follow me. Well, Ziba, he, he leaves Bo behind. And when he finds David, he actually lies to David about Bo. And he says, he stayed behind because he wants to grow his kingdom and he wants to overtake your kingdom. He stayed behind because he's hoping he can talk to a few soldiers, build up an army, and just take over your throne. This is what David begins to believe about Bo, the man that he was so merciful to, the man that he showed so much grace to. Sometime later, the situation cools down and David returns back. And you know who's there waiting for him? You know who the first one out is to meet and greet David? It's Bo. The lame man was the first one to come out and meet and greet David as he comes back. And when David looks at him, he says, dude, you look terrible. You haven't shaved. You haven't taken care of your feet. You haven't even showered. What is the deal? What's going on with you? And Bo says, I have been in mourning for you. I have wanted so much for you to come back. But remember, David in his mind thinks that Bo is trying to split up the kingdom. He's In David's mind, Bo's trying to overtake his kingdom. And so David kind of confronts him and he says, well, Ziba told me this about you. So that what I'm going to do is I'm going to split up the, the, the land. I'm going to split up the, the, the earnings and I'm going to give half to you and I'm going to give half to Ziba. And then I'm washing my hands and you guys are done. And Bo responds with, you know what? I don't want any of that. He can have it all. I just want you back home, and I want to spend my time with you. I'm not worried about the inheritance. I'm not worried about any of the benefits. I just want you. You see, today I want to look at the life of Bo, and I want to compare it and contrast it to our lives because there are things in our lives, some things that we have all of the control over, but then there's some things that have happened to us that we have absolutely No control over. But what we do always have control over 
is the way we respond to things. Bo had absolutely no control over the fact that he was going to be born grandson to the king. He had no control the day that they died. He had no control the day that he fell and broke his legs and was lame from then from that point on. No control over the grace that David extended to him. But he had all of the control about how he responded to those situations. So I want to look at his life today and I want to compare it to ourselves. And, and again, there's some mistakes and there's some things that we cause and, and, and you know, that we, that we mess up. And then there's others that have happened to us. Maybe someone did something to us or said something about us or maybe to our family years ago. We had no control over the situation, but we can control how we respond. So God, we thank you so much this morning for your grace and for your love. We ask you, God, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives this morning. Help us understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Find Proverbs chapter 24. If you're in 2 Samuel, go to the right. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, because I want you guys to highlight this in your script, in your, in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It's right after the biggest book in the Bible, Psalms. It says this, For a righteous man may fall seven times, but what does he do? Does he stay down? But he rises again. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. For a righteous man may fall seven times, and what does he do? Let's rewind this again. We're going to try it again. So the righteous man may fall seven times, but what does he do? Talk to me. Talk to me. He rises again. The righteous man may fall seven times, but he he rises again. Do not let your mistakes or the failures of others keep you from fulfilling your destiny. Your God-given purpose, your God-given destiny. You may mess up, I may mess up, someone else may mess up for us. But let's not let someone else's mistakes or our own mistakes keep us from fulfilling our God-given destiny. The second thing that I want to look at, and this is so powerful, and I want us all to just to, to spend a little bit of time here, is God does not change His plans for your life just because of your circumstances. God does not change His plans for your life just because of your circumstances. Bo was born to be a child of the king, to be the grandchild of the king. Now, he gets news, and his, and his, and his caretakers get news that, Jonathan and Saul had been killed. That fear comes into their hearts and overwhelms them. They take off running and he breaks his legs and now he's lame. For 15 years he's hiding and in fear every single day. But one day grace reaches out and touches him. And he becomes like a child of the king again. Do you guys see how powerful that is? 
His destiny was not changed just because of his circumstances. His destiny was not changed because of what happened around him, what everybody else did or what everybody else thought, or even because of his own mistakes. His destiny was not changed because of his circumstances. He still had the same purpose. He was still the same man. He was still the, he still had the same destiny to be a child of the king and to live in the palace. And I think so many times the easiest thing for us to do is to give up when things get a little bit difficult. A very famous scripture. I'm, I'm sure all of you that have social media have seen it. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Go there. Highlight it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It's even further to the right if you're in Proverbs already. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Very, very famous scripture. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to prosper you, to give you hope and to give you a future. And everybody says amen and everybody loves to put it under social media and Facebook and tweet it and Instagram and Snapchat. Do y'all put Bible stuff on Snapchat? I don't know. If you're a guy and you've got Snapchat, shame on you. That's all I'm going to say. That's, that's for girls. If you're a guy and you use that filter, you get your puppy dog ears. Come on, dude. The only way I can forgive that is if your wife is in the picture. Other than that, Lord Jesus, help us. So, I completely lost my train of thought. Where, where, where was I going with this? 29-11. Thank you. Yes. Jeremiah chapter 29-11. Man, I started getting on that kick. Anyways, Jeremiah chapter 29-11. So, it's a beautiful scripture. I'm not taking any way, anything away from it, but we have to get a little bit of context. So, God here in 29, Jeremiah 29-11 is saying, I know my plans for you. I know my thoughts for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you peace, to give you hope, to give you a future. And again, everybody says amen. But if we read the scriptures before that, what is actually going on, what has actually happened is Israel for so long have neglected God, have disobeyed God, and have let sin overwhelm their lives. They have disobeyed God for so long that God actually tells them for 70 years, you're going to be slaves. For 70 years, you're going to be captives and you're going to work for them and you're going to build their kingdom. For 70 years, you're going to suffer and you're going to be in pain. For 70 years, life is really just going to suck. But then, here comes verse 11. But I know the plans that I have for you. You see, what so many of us do is we go through a difficult moment we go through a, a hard point in life, maybe, maybe the span of a week or a couple of weeks or a month or a couple of months or even a year or two years. And what we do is we just think, well, God changed his plans for my life, so I'm just going to throw in the towel and I'll give up. I'm done. Have you ever thought that maybe, 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 just maybe, this might be a little bit out there, but, but maybe God knows what he's doing? That ever crossed your mind? Have you ever thought that just maybe God knew what situation you were going to be in before you were there? Do we really think that we actually surprised God? I have never surprised God. 
You have never surprised God. God knew what was going to happen to you. God knew the decisions that you were going to make long before you made them. You did not surprise God. Our purpose, our destiny, our God-given destiny does not change. God's plans do not change according to our circumstances, according to our situation that we're currently in, or according to what somebody else has done, or even what we have done. You guys with me? Now, we, he might have to take a different route. We might take a different route to get there. But the destination is still the same. You guys with me? You know, like most of you guys, I'm hurting this morning because the Razorbacks just can't win, man. And I'm hurting. I'm in pain. And Texas A&M isn't even that good. Who do they got? A high school team? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. We better, man. We lost to them a couple years ago. Anyways. So, you know, in a a football game, this is is very much, listen to this. This is a good little um, comparison to what the will of God looks like for in our lives. Now, I think we would all agree that Arkansas probably doesn't need to be throwing the ball very much. We need to be running it. That's who we are, right? No? Let's just put, take Arkansas out of it. I, that, it's causing too much pain. So let's just take Arkansas out of it. Let's just say a football team. Let's just say a football team, our, our plan going into the game is we're going we're gonna to run the ball and we're going to milk the clock as much of the clock as we possibly can. And we're just going to run the ball. We're going to make very few passing plays. We're going to run the ball. We're gonna, again, we're going to try to take as much time off that clock as we possibly can. But if at the kickoff, the opposing team runs it back for a touchdown, kind of sounds like Arkansas. And then our first offensive play, the running back fumbles the ball. They pick it up and they run it back in. Now we're 14-0. We're down 14-0. Is the best game plan still to run the ball? Or should we now start to gain some yards to the air? You guys follow me? You can answer. What would OU do, Vic? OU wouldn't lose. Hey, next Sunday, bring me one of those shirts, if you will, man. I might put it on. The The game plan changes, is what I'm trying to say. Maybe, maybe we didn't get off to the start that we wanted to. Maybe, obviously, we didn't want the opposing team to run it back all the way and gain seven points right off the bat. And we didn't want to fumble the ball and let them have another seven points right off the bat. So now our game plan changes, but our destiny and our hope is still the same. We still want to win the game, right? It's the same way God sees it. See, so when we look at Bo's life, his destiny was always to be a child of the king, to be in the palace, to be at that table. Now, other things happened around him that he had absolutely no control over. But what was his end destiny still? Now, he had a span of about 15 years that he wasn't hiding that he was in fear for his life, but what did he end up coming to be? Where, where, 
we read it, or we, I talked, I, we just talked about it. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Where does Bo end up? Yeah, he ends up being in the palace. He ends up being just like a son of the king. He ends up at the table where he was supposed to be from the very beginning. Are you guys following me? I confuse everybody with the football thing, huh? I don't know. Okay, I'm, my bad, my bad. N- next time I should use a maybe baseball, baseball analogy? No? Y'all don't like baseball? Next time let's use a deer hunting analogy. I don't know. Anyways, I'll just stay away from analogy. Sorry for the confusion. But what I'm trying to say, the truth remains that our circumstances don't dictate God's plans for our life. Your situations and your mistakes, other people's mistakes, they do not dictate God's plans for your life. They do not change, they do not not manipulate or dictate God's purpose, God's destiny for your life. You guys with me? Go Razorbacks. No matter how far, and I love this, no matter how far we try to run, grace will eventually find us if we will respond to it. So grace finds us no matter how far we go, no matter how far we run, no matter what we do, grace always finds us. It is our job to simply respond to it. Again, 15 years, Bo was on the run. He was running from David and he was in fear for his life. For 15 years, he had absolutely no idea that there was actually going to be grace for his life. Have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever found yourself in a moment when, and you just, now looking back in hindsight, you just think, if I only knew that there was grace. If I only knew that it was going to be that easy. If I only knew that it would be this much better, then I would have done it a long time ago. You ever had that moment that just, ah. For 15 years, he's hiding, he's on the run, and he's in fear for his life. He had no idea that grace was out there. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you feel like you've ran, or how big you feel like the gap is between you and God. You cannot outrun grace. You cannot outsin the cross. There is nothing too big, there is nothing too strong, there is nothing too great that you have done, or that anyone else can do to keep you from the love of God. Paul says in Romans, what can separate us from the love of God? Can love, can death, can fear, or not love, can, can life, can death, can fear, can principalities, can all kinds of stuff. What can separate us from the love of God? And he comes to the conclusion, nothing can. David in one of the Psalms says, where can I go from your presence? He says, if I go into the altitudes of the heavens, there you are. And if I go into the depths of the sea and make my home there, there you are. If I go to the east, there you are. If I go to the west, there you are. Where can I go from your presence? David says, nowhere. You see, we can't outrun grace. We can't outsend grace. We can't do too much 
to be forgiven. Either God's grace is enough for everything or it's not enough for anything. Either God's grace is enough for you and everyone or it's not enough for anyone. That's just the way this works. And it's just our, our responsibility, it's just our duty to just respond to that grace, to just accept that grace, to stop running. You know, and you may be here this morning and you may feel like God is a million miles away and you may feel like that because you've been taking step after step after step after step away from God. But you know what? Every step that you've taken away from God, God has taken another step right towards you. And God has never, never more than just one step around, just one turnaround and seeing God right there. He's never far away. James said that if I will draw near to him, he will draw near to me. You see, grace is right there. You cannot outrun grace. Because of a promise David made to Jonathan, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15, Bo received favor. Now because of God's promise, we receive the same. You see, Bo had absolutely no control over the fact that David and Jonathan had made a pact and made a promise between themselves. And David said, I promise I will take care of your family and I will take care of your, of your household. I will give them mercy. I will show them grace. Bo may not have even been born yet at that time. But because of that promise, he was restored and he was brought back into the palace and he was able to uh, sit at the king's table and eat with the king. And because of the promise that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was sitting at a table with his disciples and he picks up this, this cup of wine and he says, this is a new covenant or this is a new promise that I make with you today. This is my blood that is being poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. See, we had absolutely no control over that. There was no way that we could deserve that. There was no way that we could buy that. There's no way that we could earn that. There's no words that we could ever say that would be enough for it to be worth Jesus to do that. But he made that promise. He made that covenant. He made that pact. He said, this is my blood that's being poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And because of that promise and because of that pact that we have, again, absolutely nothing to do with, but because of that promise, we receive all of the things that Bo did on that day. We are restored. We are forgiven. And we get to be called the son, sons and daughters of the king. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But go to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And I want you guys to highlight this in your scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, for if anyone is in Christ, if anyone comes to Jesus, that we are a new creation. For anyone that is in Christ Jesus, for all of those that are in Christ Jesus, We are a new creation. And that is what God's grace does for us. God's grace restores us and God's grace makes us new. He takes us from being this person just like Bo, who shouldn't have even been in the palace. shouldn't even be around the king, but he restores us and he makes us brand 
new. And maybe some of us need that today. Maybe some of us are, are still hurting and are still in pain or still suffering or still angry and bitter because of what someone else did to us or said about us or to us years ago. And we're still in conflict with ourselves and we're still carrying that around. I want you to know that God's grace can restore you. He can bring you back before to make you better to, um, than the moment that you were hurt. And He can make you brand new. He can give you a new heart. He can give you a new mind. He can give you a new attitude. He can give you a new character. He can give you a new love. Maybe some of us are still carrying on baggage and luggage from years ago. Someone else hurt us or or we hurt somebody and we've been carrying it for so long. If we would just be in Jesus, if we would just accept His grace, then His Scripture says that He makes us Brand new. He makes us a new creation. Another thing that God's grace does for us as He brings us to the table where we, where we do not deserve and He calls us His own. John 1.12 says that Jesus or God has made us His own. We are His children. That's what David did for Bo. He brought him in. He gives him all of this land back, gives him servants to work for him. Then he says, I also want you to sit right here every single day. And you're going to have a place at this table just like the rest of my sons. That's what God has done for us. He has given us the right to be called sons and daughters of him, of the Most High King. Eleven years, give or take, about eleven years go by. And every single day, Bo is eating at the king's table. Every single day, he's got 20-something servants working for him, growing his, uh, growing his net worth, if you will, for about eleven years, give or take. Until one day, one of David's sons gets a little bit power hungry and decides he's going to take over the throne. It's his turn, it's his turn to shine. He's been waiting long enough. He wants to take over the throne. When David hears about this, he takes off. He runs. And again, Ziba kind of follows him, but he leaves Bo behind and lies to David. It says, man, he, he stayed behind because he wants to take over your kingdom too. Some time goes by. David comes back home and he finds Bo and he confronts him. And Bo, again, he had been mourning for so long. He hadn't been taking care of himself. He hadn't been shaving, hasn't been bathing, hasn't taken care of his feet. David confronts him, says, dude, you look like a wreck. And Bo responds with, man, I was, I've been in mourning for you. I've been hoping and, and, and yearning for the day that you would come back. And David says, what do you want me back for? If all you're trying to do is take over my kingdom. He says, here, I'm going to give you this, but I'm done with you. And Bo responds with, I don't want that. All I want is to be back with you. All I want is to be back in good graces with you. You see, this is the applicable part about this story to our lives. I think so many times as followers of Jesus, it's so easy for us to fall in love with the gifts and we fall out of love with the giver. You guys follow me? So many times we place more, more focus, excuse me, more focus and more attention on our benefits 
and the gifts that Jesus or God gives us that we forget to love him. Reminds me, maybe some of you guys saw the, saw the uh, video of several years back. This video goes viral of this mother asking her son, the son can't be older than two or three years old, and ask her son, do you love me? And the little boy in the sweetest way says, yeah, I love you. And she goes on to say something else, and he cuts her off, and he says, but I don't love you all the time. I only love you when you give me cookies. I watched that video hundreds of times. But you know, some of us never grow out of that phase. Now, we know he's just a kid. We know he'll grow out of that, and he's going to love his mom because it's just natural, man. It's just it's beautiful, right? It's just natural. My sister, my, my, my sister, for those of you that know her, she just had a baby. Uh, when was that, Thursday or Friday? Um, and she sends a picture yesterday of Judah, her older son, looking down at Eden, her newborn daughter. And you just see the love. I mean, Judah is, I think he's two years old, might not even be two years old yet. And you just see the love in his eyes that he has for his little sister. You see, all of that stuff, it just comes natural to us. So we know that little kid, whenever he says he doesn't love his mom all the time, only when he gives him cookies, we laugh and we think it's cute. Because we know he's going to grow up and he's going to love his mama. But you see, that's one of the signs of immaturity, right? And as a follower of Jesus, we might start out there because the Bible is clear. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. That's what the Bible says. We love God because he first loved us. But the longer we're in this, guys, listen to me. The longer that we're in this, the longer that we're following Jesus, we have to make this transition from just loving Jesus because of all of the benefits to just loving Jesus. You guys with me? So I want to take just a little bit of time, and and, and I want to, I mean, this is one of those things, you just have to be honest with yourself. Nobody can tell you for you. You just have to be honest with yourself. And I think one really good way to measure this and to weigh this personally is to just listen to our prayers. If we just pay, play back our prayers for the last week, and if the entire time that we're praying, we're just asking for stuff, then would you agree with me that we are in love with the gifts and not the gifter? You guys with me? See, if there's one thing that we need to learn from this story and one thing that we need to apply from this story is the fact that Bo loved David so much. He cared so much for David that he he didn't care about all of the gifts. He didn't care about any of the benefits. He didn't care about the land or any of the wealth. He said, I don't care about all of that. All I want is my relationship with you. So let's just reflect on our hearts this morning. Where are we? Again, if, we're, if you're brand new at this, then it's okay to start there. That's actually biblical. We love God because he first loved us. But those of us that have been doing this for a while, a couple years in already, we need to start making that transition. 
to where we love God, not because of everything that he does, but we just love God because of who he is. This is the end of the message. For more information, please visit theremodelchurch.com. Thank you.